I want you to uh, open your Bible, if you would, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. If you're watching from home, pull up the notes. I, I've been in this um, series all year where I've tried to answer one question. The question for this year was, why don't people do what they say they're going to do? And I want you to think about that in a lot of different angles. So if you go back and look online, you can see all the sermons are available. The app is really cool. You got to download the Overcoming by Faith Ministries app. I like it. It's the word of God in your hand. And if you go to the sermons, they're all listed with all the videos, notes. It's just absolutely cool. And you can link it and share it with a friend. And I, I wanted to um, try to get your mind to aim in one direction. And I felt like if you could think for a moment about what you promise to do every year and what you don't do and figure out how to do what you say you're going to do, your life will be better. And so this is the last answer to that question. I give you like 11 answers to the one question, maybe 12 answers. Here's why some people never do what they say they're going to do, because they don't know where they are. They're lost in like a desert. In the graphic, we had a picture of a desert and people wandering in the desert. They're people that just don't know where, you don't know where you are. You have no clue. Where you are financially, where you are emotionally, are you stuck? And there's something about being clear. So in the book of Genesis, there's a story of Adam and Eve, and it's a tremendous story uh, in chapter 3 where they were told to not eat of the forbidden fruit, and they decided to do it. So there are four things that happened. First thing, first of all, they started hiding. And I asked you in the first sermon, I said, are you hiding? And I described to you what it was like for Adam and Eve to discover they were naked and hide themselves. And I talked about how you can hide in religion, hide behind your job, hide behind anger. A lot of places you can hide. Then we talked about being naked. They realized that they were naked and that whole idea of being transparent and being open and being exposed. And we talked about that. Then last week, we talked about blaming people. The first thing that Adam said was, is that woman you gave me? She said, it's the serpent. The serpent had nowhere to go. It's amazing how we can spend our whole life blaming somebody else for where we are. It's my daddy's fault. It's my mama's fault. And that will be true for all of your life. And if you're not careful, everything you don't do, you'll blame it on them. Even though they're dead and gone a long time ago, but you still blame it on them. I understand what happened to you could be traumatic and could be real and could be painful. I'm not denying that, but I'm saying to you, 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 can, you, can't, you can't advance if I spend my whole life blaming someone else. Today, though, we take on another response to this question. Where are you? Are you hiding? Are you naked? Are you blaming people? Here's the fourth question. You ready? Are you fixable? God looked at mankind and saw a problem. Man had decided to go on his own way. The tree in the garden was simply a picture of choice. Don't get hung up on the knowledge of good and evil as much as it is where you learn what good and evil is about. Do you learn on your own or do you let God teach you? That's what the tree symbolized. You, you're gonna let, God was going to show them. They were going to eventually be clothed. I don't believe that we're going to all be a nudist world. There were a husband and a wife living in the garden by themselves. That's why they weren't clothed. There was a whole marriage issue we can talk about, about transparency and openness and seeing beyond the flesh and seeing each other as people beyond nudity and all that. There was a powerful, but that's not, 
that was not going to be permanent. As the world grew, we'd be clothed and all of that. But what's interesting is they decided to go on their own. That was the problem. They decided to teach themselves. They wanted to do it on their own rather than wait for God to bring the class. And say, now let me show you this good and let me show you this is evil. Let me teach you. They decided to take it on themselves. And it was a crash course in failure. So in the end, they were broken. And when you read Genesis 3 and 4, you see it. You have the slain, Abel slain by his brother Cain. You have, the, you have all kinds of violence breaking out in the world as you go to chapter 5 and 6 and 7. The world just really goes haywire. And so now the question is, can you fix this? God ha always has a plan to fix things. Say that with me, please. Come on. God always has a plan now, what's interesting, his plans are unique. This is a unique moment because during this season, which is not the season Christ was born in, he was probably born in the spring, this was designed by Christian leaders to, uh, to a counter to the winter solace celebrations and the idol worshiping during this season. They said, let us do something where we can celebrate our Christ. So they picked this time to celebrate Jesus, his birth. So please understand this was their effort of saying, God can fix the world. God had a unique plan to fix the world. And that was through the birth of Christ. And so I want you to think about this. Look at the plan of God. He's in heaven. He's thinking. He says, how can I fix them? They're broken now. They've made a decision, a bad decision, a decision that's messed up everything. All that I planned for them. My plan A is now messed up. You got kids, you understand that? Plan A didn't work out. Plan B, some of you say, no, I'm on D now. <laughs> e, F, I'm still climbing. There are times you have plans. Plan A was perfect world. Adam and Eve, you live. You guys can live forever. Imagine you never die. You stay married forever. Never die. It's all over Ever we're together. No one dies. You know your great, 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 granddaddy. I mean, just imagine. Plan A. Plan A doesn't work out, so plan B. This is what's interesting. Listen to what plan A said. God blessed them, Genesis 1:28, and said to them, Be fruitful, increase the number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the air and the sky, over every living creature that moves on the earth. I want you guys in charge. I want you to be in charge. I want you to have strength. I want you to have everything. I want you to have seed bearing fruit, bearing seed, plants on the face of the earth, whole earth. I want you to have everything, fruit, everything. Everything's free. No grocery bills, imagine. No mortgage, no grocery bills, no problems, no illness, no sickness, no death, no loss, no insecurities, none of that stuff. That's plan A. Didn't work out because we chose our way. So now we go to plan B. Plan B is surprising. Because in Luke chapter 2, you see plan B come into action. We talked about it prophetically from Genesis all the way to the book of uh, Matthew. But now when you get to Luke chapter 2, there's this whole thing about the birth of Christ. Where Jesus is going to be born into the world. God manifested in the flesh. Hard concept for some, not for me. If God can be everywhere at one time and talk to everybody about different things, I'm impressed. He's God. But he looked at us and says, you are messed up and you need fixing. And the only way to fix you is I come in flesh and save you. That's one of the, one of the hardest things for some people to grab hold to. You couldn't fix yourself. 
You didn't just need a good prophet to come and what, what good is Jesus if he's just a good prophet who dies for you? What does that mean? You, had, you needed a substitute. You needed someone that could step in for you. And God looked and said, let me surprise you. You want to see me come on a horse first? You want to see me come and conquer the Romans? That's what the disciples wanted. You thought it would be a violent takeover of the world. He says, no, not first. First, there's going to be a spiritual takeover. I need to change your hearts. I need to reach you in a place that's, that's tied to what you think and feel. Adam and Eve made a decision, a personal decision to walk away from God. God wanted to give you a chance to walk back to him. And Jesus was that pathway back. Luke chapter 2, there are several highlighted um, uh, points of surprise. For example, this plan that God had to redeem and fix us started with the virgin. Wow. Then it had to do with a child. Then the plan had these average guys named Joseph. Then the plan had shepherds. The plan had a woman, a teenage girl named Mary. Some say as young as 14, 15 years old. Depending on what you want to believe. But she was a teenager. She was young. Impressive, too, by the way. Godly, committed, didn't sleep around, didn't play around, committed to her walk with God. When the angel told her she's going to have a baby, she says, well, I don't do what it takes to have one. Don't know how that's going to work out. I'm not putting anybody down who's been sexually active. That's not my point. I understand all that. All of us have a story to tell. I'm simply saying she was unique. And then there's a prophet. All of this is mentioned. It's a profound moment. So chapter 2, verse 51 says this in Luke. He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother referring to Jesus, treasured all these things in her heart. What did she treasure? She saw this baby grow up. She saw Jesus grow up. And the Bible says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Baby is born. Mary's watching this unique plan of God, and she's not sure how it's going to work out. The whole manger scene, the whole a story of Christ and the wise men, all that she saw, but the Bible says she didn't quite understand what that meant, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Have you ever been in a time when you've seen something shaping which you just can't quite figure out how, or how God's going to make it work? That's what the story of Jesus is about. It's a stunning moment. You're in your home by yourself, an angel appears to you, says you're going to have this baby, the baby's going to save his people from their sins. And then you watch all this evolve, the wise men. You watch all this action, and then you watch him grow up, and you're just like, what in the world is happening? I have discovered something about the way God works. It's always unique. His ability to fix me is not tied to a plan that I can figure out. I can't always piece together how he was going to fix my life how he's going to save my mind, my emotions. God looked at the world and said, I've got a plan that you could never dream of, guys. All you think about is soldiers and armies and fighting. I'm going to send you a baby wrapped in swaddling clothing. Put him in a manger. Nothing impressive. I'm going to bring Mary, this little teenage girl, and her husband, Joseph. And she's going to be pregnant before 
they even have a relationship. Yes, sir, I'm going to do something unique and different in the world that you could believe. Because I want you to understand it's me stepping into, into, in, into history. It's me, and that's what I need in my life. I've learned. I need God to bring his unique plan, not my own plan. I need God to bring his unique vision, not my vision. I need God to open up a door for me that I could never dream of. And so God steps into the world and says, you're a mess. Your families are a mess. Your emotions are a mess. You ever seen this before? Have you seen a world like this before? Where it's messed up, tired of everybody's fighting, everybody's confused. It's a mess. And God steps in and says, watch me fix it. Watch me fix it. You are so tied to that television set wondering what Trump going to do, what this one going to do, what Biden going to do. I'm going to tell you what, what, what Jesus is going to do. We, we, can't, we can't fix it all. I wish we could. I wish I could go to the ballot box and fix everything. I wish I could just get up and preach one sermon and save everybody. Everything would be great. But that's not how it works. In the end, it's God stepping into the situation. That's what I'm praying for. Watch this world. If you're going to clap, clap your hand if I'm right about this. Come on. I got political views. I got personal views. I got theological views. I got philosophical views. I got all kinds of views. I read and I read and I read and I pray and I read and I pray. But in the end, it's God stepping in. And I'm telling you, you keep watching, you'll see him. He's coming. Just keep watching him. Never in history has God not been able to fix something. Never in history has God not been able to make it right. Never in history has God not come through at the last minute. Never in history has he failed me. When I didn't have a job, when I didn't see my way, when I couldn't make it through a class, when I was struggling in my mind academically and emotionally, God stepped in for me because he loves me. He can fix my life. Can you say amen, somebody? You may be jacked up from the flow up, tore up from the flow up, but he's able to fix you up. And I want you to hear me. It may be bad, and that may be the truth, but he's still God. Come on, amen. There are four things that stand out to me that are early signs that God's plan was going to work. And I think it's fascinating. Repeat this with me, please. Say his family, his confidence, his community, and his passion. Now, let me stop you for a minute. Traditionally, when you preach this kind of sermon, what you do is you go through the whole story of Jesus, and you read about baby in swaddling clothing, and you read it slow, and everybody gets bored. You already know the story. If you don't read it, don't know, read Luke chapter 1 and read the whole thing yourself. I want to get to the point. That way I won't be here all day. How about an amen to that? Four things stand out to me when I look at how God's plan to fix things work. Number one, he used a family that was interesting. This family is seen in chapter two on a trip to Jerusalem. And when they go, watch what we notice in chapter, 40, chapter two, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Every year. Every year. These are faithful people, faithful religious people, faithful people who honor God. The Passover was an important part of, of, of history where, where, where God protected them when they left Egypt. 
Every year, mom and daddy got together and went down to the Passover. When he was 12 years old, how old was he? They went up to the festival like normal, according to the custom. The first sign that God's going to fix something flows through the family. Everybody say the family. family. Not the police department. The family. Not the government. The family. Not the city council. I like them all. We're all good friends. But they can't fix it. Say, who, who did I just say? Family. Now tell your neighbor, say, that's us. I got some jacked up cousins. <laughs> Not the ones watching, by the way. I know you're watching, cuz. <laughs> I ain't talking about you. <laughs> Anybody got some jacked up family members? Okay. You know you're bad. You know you're bad. You know you're bad. I saw you. I saw you. Raise your hand if you got some family members that got issues. Raise your hand. Yeah. Raise your hand if you got some issues, too. I'm waiting. There you go. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> when you look at Jesus' family and you see this tradition, they honor the Passover. They haven't forgotten what God brought them through. They band together as a crew, and everybody gets on the wagons and the horses and the donkeys, and they are, hey, we, we go on to the Passover feast. Everybody knows it. Block your calendar. This is what our family does. That's where it starts. You want to fix society, you want to fix our education, you can't go down to the school board. You need to talk to the family. How come you can read but your nephew can't? Everybody say family. family. Second thing you want you to notice is confidence. Now notice this, it's important. Bob said in verse 43, after the festival was over with, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. How are you going to lose a 12-year-old? And a 12-year-old should have enough sense to know we're leaving. Think about that. That's middle school, right? 12, they're about, what grade? 12. What grade? Seventh grade. Uh-oh, well, you know that's trouble already, right? <laughs> Thinking, verse 44, he was in their company. They traveled for a whole day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. I know Cousin Bobby got him. I know Cousin Bartholomew got him. Where, where Jesus? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? When they did not find him, they went back. Now, you know it's terrible. You're going to travel the whole day. You got to turn around. Now, you know you're mad now. <laughs> turn the wagons around. Turn the donkeys around. Turn everybody. We got to all go back and find Jesus. Where he always wandered off somewhere. And what's interesting is I want you to notice he's not worried about anything. We're going to find him in a minute. He's not worried about anything. But there's a third thing I want you to notice. Notice his community. After three days, now think about it for a minute. They traveled a day out of town. That's the day out. Day back. How many days so far? Two. We got two days tied up now. That's a lot of time to fuss and complain. Then watch this. Verse 46, after three days, how many days? Three, three plus two is how many days? We got a whole week tied up looking for you, Jesus. Everybody done spread out all over town. All right, let's go find Jesus. He's somewhere. We don't know where he's at. First of all, you're wondering, well, how did he eat? 
he makes friends. Something happened. He wasn't worried. Watch this now. After three days, they found him in the temple. Oh, he in church. Maybe that's the first place we should have looked. He, after five days, how many days? Five days, we find your child. Let's make this your family. What kind of conversation would you have? Well, there'd be some big bad words said, maybe. I'm just talking about your family. Think about how you would act after five days of looking for you, seventh grader, 12 years old. What would you say, Brenda? What would be your words? Would it be nice and kind? I'm not going to ask Helen. I ain't going to ask her at all. I'm just saying, what would it be? What would it be like? I, I know you'd be cool, Carl. Right? Come on, bro. You'd be calm. You'd be nice. You would be nice, Linda. I know you'd be nice, though. Right? Five days. Boy, where you been? Five days. We've been walking all around town 24 hours a day looking for you in the morning, in the night, in the noon. Home, where are you? Listen to his answer. <laughs> Listen to his answer. First of all, be impressed now. His community was engaged enough to lay everything aside for him. Do you have that kind of community? Think about it. I think it's fascinating that his community was willing to pause everything. A day out, they find out he's missing. A day back, then three days. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Seventh grader. I don't agree with that theological position there, Rabbi. Theologically, I believe, is that Jesus? He's in there asking questions. We walking around here for five days. He having Bible discussions. Watch this. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. They could not, did not see that kind of potential. They didn't understand. They knew the angel to come. They saw all the things were prophesied before. They heard all the prophecies, but it's nothing like seeing it. Watch this response. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Okay, a little, a little unhappy. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Notice his confidence. Verse 49, let this be your child. Let this be your family. After five days of looking, why were you searching for me? Let's pause right there. <laughs> Mr. William White, why were you searching for me? You took five days off work. You got projects in the making. You had to leave town. You had to go back in five days. And your child's answer is, why are you looking for me? <laughs> Matthew, why are you looking for me? Don't ball your piss up. Stop that, boy. That's bad. Five days. Just think about it for a minute. That's amazing. Why are you searching for me? I had to be in my father's house. 
I had work to do, seventh grader. I had a call of my life, seventh grader. Early in my life, I got a plan to fix things. I'm on a mission to fix up this world. I know they can't see it now. They don't know who I am, but I know who I am. I am that I am sent me. I am here to fix up things. I'm here. Come on, I'm preaching to you now. You hear what I'm saying to you? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. I showed Joe, don't understand that. What was that little speech for? I don't know what that's about. You know, you can see all the preachers looking at him, everybody looking at him. They disturb in church. They stopped him from answering questions. Everybody's confused. Watch what happened. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. God had a plan to fix it, and you could see it. And let me tell you something. When you see God move, it's going to flow through the family. It's going to flow with confidence. The community is going to be involved, and it's going to become a passion. Jesus had a passion, and it wasn't when he was older. It was when he was younger. Let me tell you how God's going to move for us, What's, how God's going to fix us. Look at the youth. That's where it starts. I believe that God can fix us. And I believe there's hope for our world. Do you believe it? Come on, do you believe it? Stand on your feet. Father, we are fixable. You came to fix us. You came to help us. Jesus didn't stay in that, in that little, little, little crib. He grew up. And all along the way in his life, we could see a unique plan God has for us. God, you've called this church to help the world find its way, to help families, to help this community, to inspire it, to have passion, to have confidence in the future. I believe we can. I believe we're fixable. I believe God can give us power. I want to be a positive person believing in the future. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now I'm going to close, but I want you to do this for me. I want you to practice this. When somebody tell you they're going to get married, don't tell them the worst thing about marriage first. Sure you want to do that? Might want to pray on that. It's hard, you know. Most people don't make it. The person wants to get a car that costs too much money, more than you want to spend. Don't talk them out of it first. Say, that's a nice car. Expensive, but a nice car. God's able. Somebody wants to travel the world and tell them it ain't safe. People blowing up stuff around the world. <laughs> Dangerous to fly. You might crash. Where's your passion? Where's your faith? Why would you insult God with unbelief? Why would you not believe he's able to do abundantly above all you can ask or think? Come on, say Amen. Jesus confused everybody in the family. All of them for five days wandering around. Everybody. When he came back, he wasn't even apologizing. I don't know why y'all followed me. I had things to do for God. I don't know why y'all turned the whole wagon train. I'd made, I would have found, I would have got an Uber there or something. Don't worry about me. Leave me alone. I'm busy. 
killing your kid's passion. What you want to be, a doctor? Oh, maybe you ought to try to be a... Listen, let them dream. Can I get an amen? Come on, amen, amen. Let them dream. Father, we leave today believing your hands on us and believing that you've called us, believing that you have given us the opportunity to serve you and make a difference in the world. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you may have thought it was impossible for you to be fixed, you may have thought that Jesus couldn't fix you, you may have thought it was not possible for you to have a different life, you may have felt like your life could never be victorious. Well, today it can be. With every head bowed, every eye closed, whether you're watching from home or whether you're in this building, I want to pray for you. If you said, Pastor, pray for me. I want God to fix my life. I'm fixable after hearing this message. I believe that God can do something in me I never thought possible. Simply raise your hand if you want me to pray that prayer for you. Who's saying pray for me, Pastor? I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else saying pray for me, Pastor? Father, I pray for those who raise their hand and those who raise their hearts. I pray for those watching today. May this be that moment of healing, that moment of blessing. May they, if they've never given their lives to Christ, may this be the moment they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I thank you, Lord, and I give you all the praise and all the glory for healing hearts today and fixing us where we're broken and restoring to us the life you planned for us. Your plan A, your plan B, your plan, whatever your plan is today, I pray, God, that you would bless us in Jesus' name.